Billy's coming up to read scripture to you, but before he does that, I want to sort of set the stage a little bit. There are, the Bible's just a big book, and it really intimidates people, and I totally understand why it intimidates me. Uh, there's just so much about it that's hard to understand, and, and the truth is, I can always know more Bible than I can live. There's also a truth that says the Bible that I know is the Bible that you see me do. So to break that down for me, there are passages of Scripture that become sort of core, at least in my life, maybe yours too. The ones that I just stand on, these are the ones that I believe if, if, if at the end of the day I can even get close to understanding these and living these. Like Micah 6, 8, uh, uh, what does the Lord require of you but that you do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. I mean, if I could just have a day of doing that, right? Or uh, for me, Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount, that whole three chapters for me is just core about how I understand my faith. Matthew, another place in the gospel, we hear Jesus tells pretty simply, <clears throat> what's this all about? Let me tell you what it's about. The greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, you love your neighbor as yourself. Do that. Just, just do that, okay? It'd be an amazing life. Romans 8 for me is another one. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life or a whole list of other things can ever separate us from the great love in Jesus Christ. All these are powerful passages, and, and they become foundational for us. We're about to enter into a month of one of the most important chapters in the Bible, by my humble estimation. Romans 12 has long been, for me, a core for what I believe and how I'm called to live. And we're going to spend one month in Romans 12 this month, four weeks. And I'm going to invite you to stay focused with us. I'm going to invite you to read these verses. There are only 22. Read them. Come to know them. Read them again. Come to know them better. Read them again. Come to know them better. And then begin to pray them and let them begin to know you better. Romans 12 is what we're going to be looking at for the rest of this month. And today we're beginning with just the first three verses. And Billy's going to read this to you. And I pray that it will be instructional for you and a blessing for all of us, and that we be the blessing that God intends us to be for the world. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace, <clears throat> embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't be so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into without even thinking. Instead, fix your intention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relationship to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it is important that you are not misinterpreting yourself as people who are belonging or bringing this goodness to God. No, God is bringing it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for you, not by what we are, not by what we are and what we do for him. This is the word of the God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, buddy. And that was from the message. It's a paraphrase of scripture Eugene Peterson wrote and uh, gives a slant on this scripture. I hope it's to your blessing. Would you join with me in prayer? 
Not my words, but your words. Not we, but thee. Not only what we've come to bring to you, Lord, but maybe even more opening ourselves up to receive what you've come to give to us. May the words of my mouth and thoughts of our hearts and minds place us in a spot where we are humbly blessed to be the receivers now, according to your grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So how many bridges have you jumped off lately? Uh, you know the ones I'm talking about, right? The ones your mama warned you about. If the other kids were to jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? You've heard that, right? How many of you heard that growing up? How many of you passed it on to the next generation at some point? It's, it's not bad wisdom, you know, it's a concern. It's a concern we don't want our children to just go along with the crowd in a way that will put them at risk, that will harm them, that will show their stupidity. Just think about what you're going to do before you do it. Just don't go along with the crowd. Don't conform to what everybody's doing around you. Now, conforming in and of itself has its value and place in a community. We have to conform certain, to a certain extent or else we would never be able to get together. We come into worship. Only one of us is going to preach a sermon today. Not everyone. Some of you wish you could take my spot in a minute and you'd get it right. I know what you're thinking. But the reality is, no, we don't all do the same thing. We don't all conform in, in, in that way. I, I, I conform. I have a smartphone. That's my conformity because you won't use my rotary dial, okay? So I have to use a smartphone. Um, you, conform, you conform the way you drive. You hope you conform the way you drive. That everyone has the same expectations when you're on the road. You want conformity on the road with you. Unless you're traveling in Scotland and driving for the first time and experience that conformity means a different thing, then you can ask Laura about that a little bit later and her experiences. Some conformity is important. But we all conform as to what the law says about what's right or wrong and what's abuse and not abuse and all oh, the list goes on. Conformity has its place and it's important. The Apostle Paul here is not concerned about the kinds of conformity you and I willingly accept so that we can live in a healthy community. Back in the first century, the Apostle Paul was already aware of the fact that there's a great disease to the spiritual condition of Christians when we fall into conformity without thinking. We just sort of fall into what we think is the norm, and the norm becomes our norm, becomes our routine, and that's how we live almost in a numbness of seeing other possibilities. Now, that's true in a lot of places of life. For example, my guess is most of you on, in the morning when you get up have a pretty similar breakfast. Am I right? I mean, did your breakfast today look, or breakfast pattern look today radically different than other days? My guess is not. I don't imagine many of you this morning got up and ate pork and beans. I'm just guessing. 
Maybe you did, I don't know. But my guess is you fall into a routine and every morning you get up and you eat the same fill in the blank or whatever it is, or you don't eat or whatever your pattern is, and that's just sort of how you live. We don't even think about the possibilities of what else we might be able to do because quite frankly, sometimes conforming is just easier. And so too with the rest of our days, right? You sort of know what you're going to do before the day gets unfolded. You're already thinking about it and planning it. Without seeing the possibilities of what might really be possible. If we do what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do, listen to these words again. Take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Huh. To take what I'm about to do today and let that be what I give to God. Now, it's interesting here, the play on words is a living sacrifice. In the NRSV, which is the one that I have in my memory bank, it's the one I know best, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And the play on words here, of course, is sacrifice in the Old Testament was, was dead sacrifice, right? Killing animals and offering to God. This is a living sacrifice. This is saying, let my daily life, as Eugene Peterson says, my walk around life, be offered to God before I go through it. To consider that today, oh, I have things I have to do, places I have to be, responsibilities I need to pay, need to pay attention to, yes. But let me see if this is how you often do it. I get my agenda. I get my stuff that I've got to do. And, oh, I got this thing at 3 o'clock that's really going to be a little ticklish. I'm thinking about that. I got this event tonight. And so this is my agenda. So now, hey, God, by the way, I got this day planned out and that 3 o'clock thing and that, that evening thing tonight. Could you sort of really be there? Because I could really have you show up. Thanks, God. Or before I went through that list, I give you everything I've got today. And I've got stuff on my calendar, Lord, but first, I want to live to you. I want to offer who I am to you. And apart, of the agenda, apart from the agenda that I know, I just, let me not miss the surprises you're going to give me. Let, me. let me be open to the possibilities that you alone can see. Let my day today be what you want to be. and then get out of bed, and then go through your day with the possibilities of what God might do and what God might ask you to do and what might God present you or bless you with or challenge you with. Let my day, my living, be the sacrifice to God. The orientation's radically different. The first one, I'm asking God to tag along on the agenda I set. The second is, I'm willing to follow where God leads me. You know what? My three o'clock might not even go anywhere near the way I thought, or it might not even happen. Be a living sacrifice. Be willing 
in the name of Jesus Christ, not to conform without thinking, but rather by the renewal of your mind, NRSV, be transformed. By the intentionality about what I will be and what I will do today, God, I'm placing this in front of you, and I'm even putting you in charge of it. What could happen? How would your days be if you began it with that attitude? You might even eat a strawberry sundae for breakfast. You might even begin to understand that all the things that you're so focused about and scared about, you give over to God. It doesn't make everything rosy and hunky-dory, of course not, but what it means is when you walk into that 3 o'clock, you know you're not going alone because you've already offered it to God. Do not be conformed. And yet, isn't it ironic that of all the places in the world people think about, they think the church is the place where conformity is most important. That somehow, when you come to church, you've got to conform. You've got to get it in line. You've got to act in a similar way. Take a look around the room right now. You're a pretty conformed group of people. Can I just say that? I mean, you're all good looking. There's no doubt about that. But you know what I'm saying here. And yet there's this idea that when I come into the church, I've got to sort of have my act together. I've got to, I've got to, okay, I've got to put on my Sunday best, and we're not even talking about what we're wearing. We're talking about how we're behaving. We're talking about how we're revealing. We're talking about being honest about the crap of our life. We're talking about let's put this down and put it in place because we really got to make sure everything stays in order because the bulletin says this is what we got to do and we got an hour to do it. Conform. Get in line because you're going to church. Are you kidding me? If there's any place in the world where conformity should be absolutely surrendered, it's when you come into the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute. I don't want you to preach a sermon today. But... It's not about getting in line to come into the presence of God. I mean, you know how I've heard people even talk about this? I've heard people say this. Pastor Rick, I know we're doing communion on Sunday, and I'm not going to go or I'm not going to come up because I do not have my act together. They say it one way or another. They, you know what they're saying. Because somehow there's this attitude that you've got to have your act together to come in the presence of God, to be with God's people. You've got to act a certain way and... Somehow we think we've got to bring the goodness to God. We've got to have a certain level of, to, of having our act together before we come into the presence of God. This is the place where when you do not have your act together, not only should you be encouraged to come, be encouraged to come broken and honest and revealed. Be willing to share that truth. Be willing to live that truth because here you come into the presence of God who is not here to invite you because you have your act together. 
You are invited to be here because Jesus Christ loves you. That's it. On your best days and on your worst days, if you've got your life together or if you are completely, completely overwhelmed and messed up, you are loved equally here. So come on in here. And once you're in here, do not let conformity be the defining message of what the church is called to be. In the scripture, in Eugene Peterson's version, he talks about, do not let the world bring you down to its immaturity. Doesn't it seem to you like the world is growing more immature? And how easy it is to get sucked into that? How we get impassioned about things that divide us? And we take pride in that? We take a certain joy of the fact that I'm able to know Jim and I don't agree on everything. And quite frankly, Jim's screwed up. And I can tell you how he screwed up because I got a list. And, <laughs> and Ann's got her list, but that's a whole other issue I don't want to get into right now. And so we even in the church community come to divide over things that are immature. Politics, lifestyles. There is nowhere in the scriptures, I've read them, nowhere where Jesus says, this love isn't for you. So if you want to get conformed around something today, here's my invitation. Get conformed around this. Jesus Christ. Get your politics and let go of it. Get your strongly believed attitudes, let go of them. When you come into this place, none of those matter. Because I read the text, and when he broke bread and he died on the cross for you, he did not say, as long as you get into this stream, it is for everyone. The church is called to be the most radically non-conforming place in the world where people who have thought they're supposed to act in a way in which the world now celebrates come in and gets their mind renewed and their hearts restored and gets back into a place of loving as radically as possible everyone. And it starts here. And it starts right now so that you and I can go practice it when we go out there. So hear me, church. It's time to renew yourself. 
It's time to be transformed. It's time to take your ordinary, everyday walkabout life and offer it as a living sacrifice to God. And in a few minutes, we're going to invite you to come up to this table. And we're going to invite you to take cup, and we're going to invite you to take some bread. And we're going to say to you, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're living. I don't care what you believe about anything other than this one thing. I want you to get this right. You are radically, radically loved by Jesus Christ. And here, you are invited to wash in that love and then go and splash it around the world. Let that be how you're known. And let the church become the least conforming group of people in the world washed in the love of Christ.